Shalom, and welcome to Via Hafta Yisrael, a Hebrew phrase which means you shall love Israel. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as our teacher, Dr. Baruch, shares his expository teaching from the Bible. Dr. Baruch is the senior lecturer at the Zera Avraham Institute based in Israel. Although all courses are taught in Hebrew at the Institute, Dr. Baruch is pleased to share this weekly address in English. To find out more about our work in Israel, please visit us on the web at loveisrael.org. That's one word, loveisrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson. Always remain hopeful in the Lord. Do not make the mistake that many believers do, and this is their mistake. They fail God, they commit a sin, a transgression, some iniquity, and they are guilty before him. And instead of repenting quickly, seeking his forgiveness, trusting in his mercy and that he is a compassionate God, instead of turning towards him, they feel inadequate, they do not pray as they should, they turn away from studying the Bible, and they isolate themselves from God. A very foolish activity. No matter what you have done, never turn away from God. Seek His mercy. One of the ways that, that we see God being revealed in the Scripture is a God who is mighty, abundant, overflowing with mercy and compassionate. And God frequently restores. Despite our sins and those acts of disobedience, God will bring us back into a right relationship with Him. And He will continue to move in our life. One of the things that we have learned elsewhere in the Scripture is that God, He works edification. What is that? God delights in building up his people to make us into the individuals, that man or woman that God wants us to be and that his son died for us to become. And if we don't turn away, God will remain active in our life. Well, with that said, take out your Bible and look with me to the book of Psalms and Psalm 40. Now, once again, we're going to see that this is a Psalm of David. And David, when he writes this, he's going to confess his iniquities. He understands that this is an important principle. When I sin, when I transgress the word of God, the instructions of God, when I have iniquity in my life, this hinders God's activity in my life. Now, this has nothing to do with, with attacking the sovereignty of God, but God has set forth principles, spiritual laws, and sin distances us from God. And here's a principle I want you to learn. When I am in sin, that empowers, it emboldens my enemies against me. And when we speak about my enemies, we're talking about not just individuals, but primarily 
these spiritual forces of darkness, unclean spirits, demonic influences. Those things get stronger when we are in the midst of sin, when we are committing transgressions and iniquities. So even in the midst of those times when we have failed God, when we have disobeyed, when we have rebelled, don't listen to the lies of the enemy. Oh, God won't listen to your prayers. God doesn't want to have anything to do with you. God's just going to punish you and, and, and make you regret that sin. Well, if you're a child of God by faith, the Holy Spirit is already working that conviction within you and therefore confess that sin and believe as we're going to see remain utterly hopeful for God to continue to work, to restore, and to continue his work of edification. Let's begin, as I said, the book of Psalms and Psalm 40. The first thing we see in verse 1 is that familiar term, an inscription. And we read here, which means to the chief choir director, to the, the music leader, it says, of David, meaning he's the author, and then we have the word mizmor, a psalm. And then in verse 2, and remember what I said, always remain hopeful. David is saying in this next verse, we see the word for hope in the verbal form twice. And whenever these two words are put together and many different vocabulary words use this construction. So how we should understand it is this. David has said, I utterly hope for the Lord. He has confidence. And there's a relationship between hope and the promises of God. David understands something. God delights in, in us receiving his promises. Therefore, God, by his nature, he loves to forgive, to be merciful, to, to give grace. We have seen, when we look at the gospel accounts, that frequently there is an expression that that Messiah was moved by compassion. He saw someone suffering, struggling, whatever it might be. And his nature, the nature of God, moved him to get involved, to help, to assist, to restore whatever was needed. This is the God that we serve, a wonderful, loving, compassionate God who is abundant in mercy. So David says here in Hebrew, Kavo Kiviti Adonai. It's a double stating of the same verb in two different forms. I have utterly hoped, and the implication is of the Lord or for the Lord. And then he says, incline yourself unto me. And really, it's a term of confidence that he will turn unto me. And he will hear my, my cry. 
my petition. God is listening for those who are crying out to him, who remain hopeful. Understand this. There is an inherent relationship between faith and hope. When I have faith, it is going to produce hope in my life. And hope is always, and don't miss this, do not ignore it, don't fail to grasp this point. Hope is always, always, always rooted in the promises of God. Hope is not what I want what I think I need, what would solve my problems according to my thoughts, but hope is always established by the promises of God, what he has revealed in his word. So David says confidently, he will turn, incline himself to me. He will hear my cry. Next verse, verse 3 in Hebrew, 2 in English. And he will lift me up from the, the pit. And this next word, the word sha'on, has to do with, with either a loud noise. And this word can mean disturbance, the pit of disturbance. And usually this word, I realize other translations speaks of it as destruction. But, but the best understanding of it is a loud, disturbing noise, something that is unsettling. And many times when we are in the midst of disobedience, all this, these voices that we hear, you're no good, God doesn't love you, he's not going to, to work in your life, he's going to punish you, you're going to suffer loss, all these things, they are a distraction. What we need to realize is God. He wants you to, to repent. He wants you to be restored. He wants to see you back on his pathway, doing his will, accomplishing his purposes. So God will restore. We need to remain hopeful of that. And hope is not in the Bible, hope is not a wish for something, but hope is claiming the, the truth of God, the promises of God. So it says, and he, and we could translate this, not will, but, but he has lifted me up from the pit of, of disturbance. And from, and the next two words speak about kind of a, a slimy, mir, uh, miry clay, something that, that is hard to, to get out of. And the implication here is with this word bore, which is a pit or a well-type type piece of, of, of ground, that oftentimes there is mud, there is slimy stuff in that pit, and it almost just pulls us down by like quicksand. This is what he's referring to here, and that he's confident that God is going to move to bring a change in his life, to bring him up. Now look at the second part of this verse. Remember the, the context. David feels that he's in this pit. He can't get out. He's experiencing disturbance, and notice what it says. 
It says here that, that you have lifted me up from this pit of disturbance from this, this slimy or miry clay that holds him down. And you have set my feet upon the rock. Now, what we see here is a repositioning. David in the pit. He doesn't want to remain there. He doesn't want to be held in that location. So he turns to God in faith, in a biblically rooted hope, remembering and claiming the promises of God, that God would, and here's the key, that God would reposition him. This is what we need to pray, to pray effectively. God, reposition me. I'm not on that sure foundation. I'm not where you want me to be. So God set my feet upon, notice what he says here, the rock, and prepare, prepare my, my steps. And this all goes back to David's desire to walk with God, to move in the direction that God wants him to go in. And this calls us to question if really we are a servant of God. David was. David, as we'll see, there was sin and iniquity in his life at times. He wasn't perfect. But, but when David found himself under the stress, anxiety, pressure, punishment of sin, sometimes even before that punishment came, David was quick to confess sin. He was quick to repent. And here's what's so important. David wanted God to reposition him and order his strides so that he would walk in the purposes of God, in the directions of God. This is what it's saying. Now let's move to verse 4 in Hebrew, 3 in English, where he says, And he has set in my mouth a new song, a praise to our God. Now, I like the fact that it says our God because what David's revealing just doesn't work for David. It works for all of, and what's the last word? Us. Our God. The God of all of us. And, and the important truth here is this. When we look at this, we find that God placed in his mouth a new song. Why do you think it says here a new song? This newness speaks about a change. This newness speaks about the, the purposes of God being renewed in his life. So David has said, and it's a statement as we know, a praise, praise until our Lord. He says, you have set in my mouth a new song. Praise to our God. And notice, David is testifying. Do not underestimate the importance of testifying where it says, many will see David in that pit. God, though, has lifted him up. God has placed him upon that rock once more, that sure foundation. David is experiencing God's leadership once more in his life moving his steps in the right way. 
David is praising God. He's stating that new song. And what does he say? He says, many will see, and it says, they will fear. Now, this is a word for, for giving God priority. They're going to witness God's faithfulness in David's life. And they're going to give that priority in their life. So let me ask you a question. What about you? When you hear this, this testimony, this teaching of David, what he says in this psalm, is it going to impact your life? Are you going to give the biblical truth of this psalm priority of your life and implement it in your behavior, in your prayer life? Is this what this psalm is going to, to produce in your life? So he says, many will, will see and they will fear. And that fear, that priority is going to cause them, it says, and they will trust in the Lord. Now, trusting in God is saying, God, you are my security. This same word for trust in Hebrew today, modern Hebrew, it's related to insurance. So God, I, I, am, I am walking with you, and I know that I am being watched over, that you insure me. We can't do anything for ourselves. There are forces in this world beyond us, the forces of darkness. But there is no force greater than God. So trust in Him. Put your assurance in Him. God is faithful. Now look at, at verse 5. Again, testimony, instructions from David about trusting, believing in God. He says, blessed is a man who has put the Lord as his trust. Now, this word trust can also mean security. We need to do this. Confess that. God, you are my security. You are what I'm trusting in. I'm not going to fear the enemy. I'm not going to have stress, anxiety, worries about these other things because I know you are all-powerful. You are all-knowing. And you love me, and you have demonstrated your love perfectly for me by, by sending your son into this world to lay down his life for me. He said, well, he did it for, for all people. Yes, he did. But we need to make it personal. God did it for you. He did it for me. And now we need to take that and, and realize the serious implication. God wants me to serve him. God wants me to be a recipient of his promises. God desires to bless me. God will defend me if I make him my security, if I demonstrate his priority in my life, that he is my priority. So look at the text. It says here, blessed. 
And this is the same word for, for what we see in the Beatitudes. Of course, this is Hebrew. In the Beatitudes, it's Greek. But it's the same word, which is a composite word of being blessed and happy at the same time. And also having a confidence. I am blessed and I'm happy and I'm confident that God is going to fulfill what he said unto me. So blessed is a man who has placed the Lord as his security and has not turned to, not turned to, and this is a word for, for perhaps the proud ones, and these are the individuals that make empty promises. They seem powerful. They have a degree of arrogance. They, they lift themselves up way beyond where they should be. And here's the problem. They present themselves as solutions to you. They are not. Everything that they do in the origin of this word has to do with making themselves, making themselves up to something that they're not. They never live up to what they say. What they do is far short of it. So he's warning us. He says, do not turn to, to such people and do not turn to lie, falsehood, deceit. Now, I want you to learn a principle because in these two, two sentences about not turning to, to prideful ones and not turning to, to a lie, we see something. We see that there is a correlation based upon the laws of Hebrew poetry between pride and lie. Pride will cause me to lie. Pride will also cause me to be deceived. So pride will cause me to lie, but it would also cause me to be easily deceived by others because I'm thinking of myself, my will, my desires, and I'm not thinking with discernment. When you're thinking pridefully, you're not going to have discernment. You're not going to be able to identify what is of God and what is not. So pride positions me for defeat, to be dominated by the enemy. Humility brings the anointing of the Holy Spirit into my life and all the benefits that, that he can, can afford me. And I will have discernment. I will have a different perspective. I will be empowered. I will have wisdom. And all of these things are going to position me for his victory. What does that mean? Carrying out his will. Now, let's press on to, to verse 6 in Hebrew, 5 in English. He's speaking. Here again, David is speaking, and he says, Many things, the word rabot, many things you have done, O Lord my God. Now, one of the things we see here is that David in this verse is affirming when he says, O Lord my God. There's an emphasis on that my God. And why is that important? Because David is, is stating in this prayer, God, 
You're my God. What does he mean by that? I have a covenantal relationship with you. Never over, never underestimate the significance of a covenantal relationship with God. We can never overestimate its importance. Being in a covenantal relationship with God changes everything. And the covenantal relationship that I'm speaking about is a new covenant relationship through faith, trusting in the grace of God, trusting and believing in the work of Messiah, and, and being led and indwelled by that Holy Spirit. So he says, many things you have done, O Lord my God. What things are he talking about? He says, your wondrous things and your thoughts unto us. Now, I like that because it begins in a personal, he says, my God. But then he wants us to realize that these wonderful things that God has done, a multiplicity of them, and his thoughts are, are unto us. God is thinking about you. Now, I find that remarkable. I find that so encouraging that God thinks about me. And, and here's what's not good. I, I'm sure that God is thinking more about me than I am thinking about him. And, and this is sad because when I think about God, that gives me access to his perspective. It gives me access to his power, the, the provisions that he has for me. It is utterly foolish not to be thinking about God. That's why Paul says, pray without ceasing. Now, how do you do that? Well, as you have time throughout the day, just a short prayer, five minutes, you have some free time, pray. You have a few moments, just mouth a simple prayer, a sincere, a meaningful one, but it can be rather plain and simple. Now, when we study the book of Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah, we see that in one hand, Nehemiah prayed for several months. But on the other hand, there were times that he just says, Oh God, help me. Or, Oh God, and he praises God. Those momentary times of prayer and praise, they can add up and they are significant. And this is what David is teaching us in this psalm. So he says, your marvelous, your wonderful things, the thoughts unto us. And then he has a word, the word and, which means all those thoughts towards us, all those wonderful things, he says, they are unable. And the implication is we can't number them. We can't fully comprehend the many, many things that God does wondrously in our life. How much he's thinking about us. And we cannot simply order them back unto him, meaning we can't uh, give him a list. It's impossible for us to do. But we can say, thank you, God. 
one of the things that, that a, a faithful man, a faithful woman does is that we frequently give God thanks. There is great power in gratitude. Be grateful to God. This is what he's talking about here. God, I can't count, I can't put in order all the things that you have done for me. But I know that there are numerous, many of these marvelous things, these wonderful deeds that you have done. Many times you have thoughts towards us. What a great God. He says, I will declare and I will speak the, the multiplicity or the strength, the strength, which is, he's saying, how much more, how many more they are than the number that he can count. So David is saying, God, it's unable to recount, it's unable to speak all the number of things that you do for your people. Verse 7, sacrifice and, and an offering. It's a word, zevach, which is usually a blood sacrifice. And mincha can mean a gift to God, usually a grain sacrifice. He says, sacrifice and offering you have not desired. He says, your ears are open unto me. So he says, it's not about offerings and sacrifices. You, you, you don't delight in that. He says, your ears, though, are open to me. What does that mean? Praise him. God is there listening for you to praise him, thank him, glorify him, testify concerning him. His ears are open for you, for me, for David. And then he says, last part of verse 6, burnt offerings and sacrifices you, you have not asked. This is not what motivates God. Now, are they biblical when the temple stood? Yes, they were. But this was not the, the preferred thing. God wanted people like Hanok to do what? Enoch is his English name. To walk with him, to love him, to serve him, to obey him. What does the scripture say? You all know this verse. Obedience is better than sacrifice. This is what David is, is communicating to you and me. That we need to be people who are thankful to serve God. Verse, verse 8 in Hebrew, 7 in English. Then I have said, Behold, I come. Now, there's a variety of ways to understand this verse. But, but the implication is that David, because of all of this, David is saying, oh God, I confess, I speak this, that I want to come before you. And your Torah, now notice what he's saying. I want to come to you. And the first thing he says is, your Torah is in the midst, and the word is, may I. What is may I? Well, I know a lot of translations will say heart, but it's a word for, for intestines. Or, or bowels. 
Now, in Hebrew, they use that term to speak about the real, we say in English sometimes, I feel that in the, the pit of my stomach. And it's something that, that really touches, something that is really significant. We, we know that feeling sometimes when we care, and especially when we're, we're very young, in, in high school or so, and we have that, that sweetheart that we, we care about, when we, we see them or when they depart from us, we have that feeling in the pit of our stomach. And what David is saying here in this verse, in regard to your Torah, he says, it's in the midst, right in the pit of my stomach. David rejoices. David cares. David is looking for opportunities to apply Torah truth to his life. That's how this, this verse is speaking of. And he says, look at the next verse, Bisarti Sedek. Now, again, it's very important that we understand this is Hebrew poetry. What's the number one characteristic of Hebrew poetry? Parallelism. And parallelism can be within a verse or a few verses. And we see Torah here, and then we see the term in the next verse, verse 10 in Hebrew, 9 in English. I have evangelized. That's what the word Levaser is to proclaim good news. He says, I, most Bible says, I have proclaimed righteousness in the congregation of, or in the great congregation, Kahal Rav, in the congregation of, of the mighty one, the abundant one, or in the abundant congregation, this large assembly. So what is David about? He says, I want to do your will. This is seen in the instructions of God, the, the commandments of God. In order that he can proclaim, that he can, can, can shout good news about righteousness. In the congregation, in the great congregation, he says, Behold, my lips I will not close up, will not be restrained. O Lord, you, you have known. Now, this is another great verse of what David's revealing here when he says, O Lord, you have known. David is saying, God, you know my history. You know how consistently I have behaved. Yes, there are times in my life that I fail, but these failings, these sins, this rebellion, these transgressions ought to be the exception to the rule. We should continuously, in a consistent manner, walk with God in his will, according to his commands, his instructions, desiring to execute justice and proclaim righteousness. There is an inherent relationship between righteousness and the will of God. So David wants to be in God's will because he wants to experience righteousness. He wants to be a catalyst for righteousness. This is David. Yes, there are times when we fail and we're come to this. He says, I have, have proclaimed righteousness in the, the mighty congregation. Behold my lips, I will not restrain, O Lord, 
you have known. Verse 11 in Hebrew, 10 in English. Your righteousness I will not conceal. I'm not going to be someone who behaves in a way that, that is contrary to righteousness. He wants to not conceal righteousness, but proclaim it. He says, I have not concealed your righteousness in the midst of my heart. What does that mean? He's thinking righteously. He says, your faith and your salvation, I have spoken. Notice we see the relationship between righteousness, faith, and salvation. What, why that order? Very simple. A person is a candidate for salvation when he desires righteousness. I want to turn away from sin. I want to experience righteousness. When, when we are saved by faith, God creates righteousness. He declares us to be righteous. And that declaration should work itself out. That's what sanctification produces. Sanctification sets us apart for the purposes of God that we do them. And when we do the purposes of God, it manifests righteousness. So I'm motivated by righteousness. That's why when someone says, I'm not interested in God's will, I'm not interested in his standards of morality, what God commands me to do, none of those things interest me, but I don't want to be punished. I don't want to go to hell. That is not a candidate for salvation. That is a false presentation of the gospel. The gospel begins with someone saying, God, I don't want to be in sin. I don't want to be a tool of unrighteousness, but I want to be your vessel for righteousness. But I am defeated by sin. God says, I'll come. I'll, I'll deal with your sin. I'll forgive it. I'll declare you righteous. I will give you my spirit within you. And that spirit, he will anoint you, empower you, lead you, guide you, teach you in order that you are on that, that pathway of righteousness to execute righteousness, do righteousness, and manifest God's glory. So this is what David is saying here. Look now to, to the second part of verse, verse 11 in Hebrew, 10 in English. I will not hide or I haven't hid your grace and your truth, once again, from that congregation of the mighty or that great or strong congregation. Notice the relationship between grace and truth. In this verse, we see righteousness, faith, salvation, grace, and truth. And these are the things that really interest every true believer. I want to, to embrace faithfulness, the truth of God. Now, when that's the case, I'm interested in righteousness. I become a candidate for salvation through the grace of God. And it's the truth of God that, that puts me on that pathway, helps me to understand what's right and what's wrong. 
So all of this is working together. This verse, verse 11 in Hebrew, 10 in English, is such an important verse. Let's move to the next one. You, O Lord, do not hold back your mercy from me. Notice he says, your grace and your truth are always, are always doing what? Are always keeping me. Your, your grace and truth, always they, some Bibles say, preserve they always guard me. They will always keep me. Grace and truth. And, and why do we see grace and truth, chesed ve'emet, so frequently together in the scripture? Because God's grace will work in our life in order to push us in the truth of God. Meaning this, when I receive God's grace, that grace is going to work in my life, not just to save me, it does that, but it will also work in my life to turn me to the truth of God. I'm going to desire to live according to his truth. I'm going to desire to express his truth. So live according to those standards and express them, speak of them. David is revealing all these things that we see in the New Covenant, that New Testament, through the writers, the teachers of, of, of the New Testament, those apostles, and from Yeshua himself, they're all right here in this scripture. So he says, look again at, at verse 12, You, O Lord, do not uh, uh, hold back your mercy from me. Your grace and your truth always they will keep me, guard me. The implication is this word is a word which, which means to keep out of trouble, to keep safe. And now we go to verse, verse 13 in Hebrew 12 in English. Now David is going to speak about the condition that he's in, what he is experiencing. See, God in the past hath lifted him out of that pit. God has done many good things, but, but now he's, he's relating how he feels currently in the midst of the psalm. And notice what he says, verse 13 in Hebrew, 12 in English. For, and it's the word raot, evil things. Evil things, they are all about me. Now, that could mean, this same word means kind of to surround, to wrap up. They are, are the best word to, to say, they are confining him. They are constricting him. What things? Evil things. Now, the question we should ask ourselves is, why is David in this situation? This man of God, this one after God's own heart. Well, notice what he says. Again, same verse. For evil things have, have confronted me. They have uh, constructed themselves around me. And he says, unto there is no number. So David, imagine this. Uh, you may be having a bad time in your life, but David is saying, 
I have been encircled, encompassed, surrounded. I have, have totally been taken over my life by bad things, by the attacks of the enemy. David is in a, a difficult situation. He says, Odd end, Miss Part unto, there's no counting, no number of them. And now we know why. He says, My iniquities, they have overtaken me. Now, David's being honest. Always, always, always be, be transparent with God. Always speak the truth. Always share what, what really the situation is. That's what David's doing. He says, not this, this uh, one little sin in my life, but he says, let's look at it again. He uses the word avon in the plural. He says, my iniquities, they have overtaken me. And I am not able to see. Now, I would highlight that, underline it. We see a principle. What I've said so frequently, and that's this. When I'm in sin, committing sin, transgression, iniquity, it is going to cause me not to have a biblical perspective, meaning this. I won't have discernment. I will not have the vantage point that, that God wants me to have so I see things correctly. And what's the consequence of that? Well, we've already said it is going to cause me to be deceived. So David says, my iniquity has overtaken me. I am not able to see. And then he says, they are more numerous than my hairs upon my head. And, and my heart has left me. Now heart has to do with sometimes encouragement, perseverance, or perspective, thought. And David has said, now in this situation, he is totally confused. He is not able to see things correctly. He has no discernment because of, of this iniquity in his life. They are numerous, and he is struggling. And what does he do? Look at verse 14 in Hebrew, 13 in, in English. Retzei Hashem. What does that mean? It's a word of want, desire, the word for willing something. And what he says is, O Lord, desire, want to save me, deliver me. And it's a word for delivery, rescue. So he says, God, my, my hope is that you desire, that you want to deliver me, rescue me. He says, O Lord, for, the implication is, for my help. O Lord, you are my help. And then he says, Husha, which is a word for, for haste, fast speed, moving quickly. And he's saying, God, help me and help me quickly. Verse 15 in Hebrew, 14 in English. They will be ashamed. They will be, it's another word for, 
for contempt, for a great shame, embarrassment, for they will be embarrassed and disgraced altogether. Who will? The ones who seek my life for its destruction. Now, David, and this could be appropriate for many different times. David is sensing, feeling the enemy's desire to utterly destroy him. This is what he's experiencing. And this mess spiritually that he's in, whose fault is it? It's not God's. It's his own. Why? Because of his iniquities in the plural. But what does David do? He doesn't say, woe is me. God will never help me out. God and I are, 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 are not on speaking terms. Therefore, I'm not going to pray. I'm not going to praise him. He doesn't say any of that. He reminds himself of God's deliverance in the past. That God can give us a new song, a new reason to praise him. And therefore, he says, these, these evil ones, they ultimately are going to be the ones who are made ashamed, who, who are, are going to be, dis, be despicable altogether. The ones who seek my life to destroy it. And he says, these are the ones who are going to, to go backwards. These are the ones who are going to be ashamed. Why? Because they desire evil. Now, what does that mean? See, many times people hear that and say, well, it's only those who really desire these bad things. This is not what this word means. This word means simply they desire things that's not God's will. They are not submissive to the things of God. Now, from just a visual, human visual standpoint, they not, might not be things that are, are terribly immoral, unjust, unethical. They simply are not in agreement with God's will. And when we're not in agreement with God's will from a worldly standpoint, it may not look bad. Evil in the English word evil. But if it's not God's will, it is evil in his eyes. Remember the verse that I frequently allude to, and that is the children of Israel did what was right in their eyes. The word is yeshar, what they thought was straight, correct, but God saw it as evil. So these are the ones who usually are simply seeking what they think is best, but God sees it as evil. He says, they are going to be made desolate because of their shame. Now, what's the message here? Here's what you need to hear. When you seek your will, it is going to lead to shame. Just, just mark that down. It is one of the most important principles that a person can learn. When I seek my will, I am choosing and inviting shame to come upon me. Just that simple. Now, we don't want to believe that, but that is the message of this text. They delight in that which is not God's will. Therefore, they 
will be destroyed because of their shame. The ones who say to me, aha, aha, what's this? They're saying, and this is really related to this, this idea of accusing. Satan is called the, the accuser. What does Satan like to do? Push us, deceive us, so that we sin. Push us into sin, deceive us, so that there's sin in our life. Why? So we can point it out to God. He loves to see people suffer because of their sin. And this is exactly what these individuals are doing. David is in the midst of iniquity. And they're saying, aha, aha, you're in this because of your own disobedience. This is not what a true servant does. We want to encourage repentance. We want to help people find that restoration. These are not doing it. Verse 17 in Hebrew 16 in English, it says, and it's a change. It's a contrast between those who aren't interested in God's will, those who want to accuse others of their sin. He says, in contrast to that, there are those who are going to rejoice and be glad, and here's the key, in you. What does that mean? In a covenantal relationship with you, in your will. He says, all those, here's what it means to be in you, all those who are seeking you. Now, this is spirituality. When I am seeking God, that's what I want. I want to know him, experience him. I want him to teach me. I want him to, to lead me in the right ways, the right direction, the right things, and assist me in doing that. That's what, what brings about what? Not shame, but brings about, he uses two words, for rejoicing and being glad. Then he says in the same verse, they will say always, the Lord, he is great. The ones who love your salvation. Now, the message is very simple. Salvation is related to here in this, this verse, those who are praising God, magnifying his name, saying God is great. This is what salvation brings about. It gives me a platform. It gives me motivation. I begin to experience the greatness of God in order that I might share that. And the first thing that we experience that's great from God is forgiveness, is his mercy, is his compassion, his grace. So he says, they will always magnify the Lord. Who? The ones who love your salvation. Let's move to the last verse of the text. He says, and once more, David is speaking about himself. In light of his current situation, and many of the rabbinical commentators speaking about David in a, a spiritual, David speaking about himself, the rabbinical commentators say, in his spiritual condition at that time. And what does he say? He says, but I am poor and destitute. Spiritually, David is bankrupt. That's what it's saying. 
I am poor and I am destitute. O Lord. And then it says, O Lord, his thought is to me. Now, when I confess, and this is what David's teaching, when I confess that spiritually I'm at the end, I am bankrupt spiritually, I am empty, and, and I have nothing to hope for in myself. That is an invitation to God to come and move in our life. And God will hear that, and he says, Adonai, that is my master. My master, he will think of me. And then he says, he is what? Well, he makes it personal. He's speaking to God, and he says, you are my help. And this next word is a word for deliver. One that, that sets free. One that releases us from all these things that cause us despair, all these things that are shameful in our life, all the consequences of our disobedience. David is saying, you help me to escape these things. My God, and he says finally, and David is in this situation. He says, do not be late. Do not tarry. Don't delay. David is pleading for help. And you know what? God is quick to respond. When we come broken, empty, understanding that we are spiritually bankrupt because of our disobedience, that we have nothing to, to show God, we come empty-handed with a contrite heart. We can expect, we can claim that promise that God, he is going to forgive be gracious, compassionate, full of mercy, and he is going to work restoration. He's going to gather us up. He's going to put us back on that right foundation, and he is going to order our steps so that we can have that new song that we can testify about how great, how marvelous all of his wonderful things, all of his thoughts towards us. When you read Psalm 40, it has a litany of things good about God. And this is what I love. All these good things are for one who has failed him, who is in the midst of the consequences of, of great iniquity. But David does not let that turn him away, but rather he turns to God, believing that God will incline himself to him. And God does just that. How do I know that? There's one simple proof of that. And that's the cross. The cross shows me and everyone who looks at it, God's great love that he, while we were still sinners, he died for us in order that we might become that new creation, that we might experience salvation and that we might be his instruments of righteousness and glory in this world. Good news from Psalm 40. Shalom from Israel. Well, we hope you will benefit from today's message and share it with others. 
Please plan to join us each week at this time and on this channel for our broadcast of loveisrael.org. Again, to find out more about us, please visit our website, loveisrael.org. There you will find articles and numerous other lectures by Baruch. These teachings are in video form. You may download them or watch them in streaming video. Until next week, may the Lord bless you in our Messiah Yeshua, that is, Jesus, as you walk with Him. Shalom from Israel. Thank <laughs> you.